Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. Welcome to our weekly Bible study. I'm Ken Bear, a pastor at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of faith dialogue right here in Celebration, Florida. We're so glad that you joined us today. Today we'll be looking at the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. It's one of 46 parables in the Bible. We go through all of them, one a week, and we're in Luke chapter 18. Now, this parable immediately follows another parable we talked about last week. It was referenced as the parable of the widow and the unjust judge. Um, and it's an indication, just like this parable is, of the kind of prayers that God hears and answers. So, let me read to you the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, beginning in verse 9. Also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I possess, and the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. In this week's parable, we see, see two men that come to the temple to pray, but they have drastically different results. Have you ever wondered about the results you get when you pray? You know, I have. It's interesting, whether you do or whether you don't. In either case, this parable speaks to that very question. What kind of prayers does God actually listen to? Uh, Jesus told this parable in the third year of his ministry. Scholars pinpoint the time to be likely just prior to Jesus coming into Jerusalem on the colt, the back of a donkey. When we hear this parable, there are some words that we have heard before and they immediately begin to paint a picture, a framework for everything that we, we, uh, we hear. It, it filters the very parable when we hear these words. So for example, if I said the word Samaritan, something would immediately come to your mind. Perhaps the parable of the Good Samaritan. I, I've taught it before and you've probably heard of it. It's about uh, a, a Samaritan that takes care and comfort. He goes out of his way. When religious people didn't care, he cared for a man that was, was half dead. He did a, a great deed. However, at the time of Jesus, the Samaritans hated the Jews. And the Jews, likewise, hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans were not pure Israel. They had intermarried with the people in the land, contrary to what the Word of God had told them to do. Um, they also had a, a slightly different religion, a different religion than the way that the Jewish people believed. In fact, they didn't completely agree with what we call our Old Testament. That was the Samaritans. 
if I mention another word, if I mention the word tax collector, you likely don't have the same understanding that the people of Israel did during the time of Jesus, when Jesus was first telling this story. Uh, the tax collectors were agents of the Roman government. It was an occupation that was actually forbidden by the Jews, but it was Rome that had the power. The tax collectors had a great amount of discretion on who was taxed and how much. What type of businesses, what kind of lands were taxed. The other thing was is that they weren't even paid by the Romans. What their compensation was is whatever they could extract above and beyond what was due to the Roman government was theirs to keep. As a result, while they were wealthy and often very influential, they were considered to be cursed by God. And just about as low as you can get, almost as low as the hated Samaritans. And the reason I'm telling you this, and this idea of words that, that color our understanding, is words color your understanding of, of this parable as well. For example, I, I believe that this parable has lost some of its shock value. Um, with today's readers because we've had we've come to believe for example that all Pharisees were were evil evil men who had first rejected and then conspired against Jesus and typically were horrible examples of how we believe holy men should actually behave and the truth of the matter is that the Pharisees were a very influential group of religious leaders in Israel. They were considered by the Jews to be an example of what it truly meant to follow the, the law of Moses and to be devoted, a, a true disciple of God. You know, I could use the word pious to describe them, but even that word pious has been polluted in its meaning. Originally it was described, it was used to describe somebody that was truly devoted to God and follows the Ten, ten, ten Commandments. But if you use the word pious today and said, well, that person's awfully pious, you'll immediately think hypocrisy, or maybe that, that, that piety is more showy than actually true. You know, although Jesus was often critical of the Pharisees, as he is in this parable, the lesson that we need to learn is that while they were well-respected people in the society, these are the Pharisees, and all the Jews considered the Pharisees to be an example of godliness, God is able to see into the heart, to be able to see the soul, the character of the individual. So let's examine a day in the prayer life of these two individuals. First the Pharisee and then the tax collector. Verse 11 is where the Pharisee begins to pray. Remember that both are in the temple. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I possess. They had, these two verses begin by reminding us that the Pharisee, it says, prayed thus with himself. That's out of the New King James. And the wording clearly indicates that this is not a, a public prayer. The Pharisee is not praying audibly. Nobody can hear him. He's praying directly to, to God, and God, and he's speaking his mind. Notice that he is thankful. That's how he starts off. Well, that's the only good thing we can say really about the Pharisee in this prayer. Um, on the surface, being thankful is always a, a good thing. However, this Pharisee in this parable is the epitome of someone who is self-righteous 
he immediately reminds himself and God how good he is compared to the lowest elements of society. He is using a ruler to measure his righteousness, but he's not using the same measuring stick that God should, is using. He's using his own, one that he fashioned for himself. He is thankful that he is better than an extortioner. You know, somebody that uses force and blackmail in order to illegally take something from someone else. He's also thankful that he's not unjust, as he likely believes that he's uh, above reproach. Now, he throws in adultery as well, one of the worst sins in ancient Israel, likely because it's one of those that actually, you can, if you're convicted of it, or even guilty of it, uh, you could be stoned. But we know, you know that Jesus said that adultery is more than just the physical act. It actually has a lot to do with coveting, but most likely the Pharisees not thinking about that. Finally, he compares himself to the tax collector who is also in the temple, also praying. And the Pharisee just uses him as a, an example of somebody that he's better than. The Pharisee's prayer is short. The Pharisee has had his say. Notice there's no request for forgiveness as there was no confession of sin. He likely believes he has nothing to confess and really he asks for nothing and attributes nothing to God. Perhaps you've heard of the acronym ACTS, A-C-T-S. It's a, it's a pattern, just like Jesus gave us a pattern in the Lord's Prayer. A-C-T-S is an acronym that stands for adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. So the idea is as you pray, you make sure that you are thankful, that you have adoration, you honor who God is, you, you confess your sins, and then you, you pray for others. But not this Pharisee. The Pharisee noticed the tax collector in the temple, but didn't pray for him or anyone else. He didn't bother with worship. There was no thanksgiving in his prayer. Just a self-righteous summary of why he was thankful. The tax collector, on the other hand, is contrasted by Jesus. You know, Jesus often used contrasts in these parables. Contrasts are easy to spot when we see that the actions, the attitudes, and the responses are, are the complete opposite of what we'd expect or what's being shown. Verse 13 says, And the tax collector standing afar off would not as much raise his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Remember, Jesus is telling the story. The people that are hearing it are likely hearing it for the first time. The Gospel of Luke records it after it has been told, likely many times, with the commentary that we saw at the very beginning of the parable. Remember, that commentary that Luke wrote said this, Also he, meaning Jesus, spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. That's a commentary. That's not part of the parable. Jesus is a storyteller extraordinaire. And just the fact that the tax collector is in the temple is a shocker in itself. While the listeners are still getting over the shock of hearing one of, their, one of the secret prayers of the self-righteous, an arrogant, full-of-themselves, holy man, they now hear the prayer of a tax collector. The tax collector has a, has a completely different attitude. It's contrasted to that of the Pharisee. Even his posture is different. As it says that he stands afar off, and he didn't even raise his eyes to heaven. 
likely contrary to the Pharisee who stood where people could see him, the tax collector is in the dark part of the temple, maybe way outside. He's at the very edge, just close enough to the inside to be inside, but likely he still knows that he's an outsider. You know, the, the tax collector knows that he's a, a sinner. And more than that, he knows that God knows that he's a sinner. Did you know that God knows your sins even before you confess them? That's kind of a chilling thought when you think about it, isn't it? Uh, the ramifications are amazing. Um, but if you understand, like for example, Psalm 41 says, God, God knows the secrets of the heart. You'd understand that God already knows your sins even before you confess them. This tax collector knew the full extent of his sins as well. Likely the Pharisee had reminded him, uh, perhaps daily, that what he was doing was not only evil, not his just done his profession, but this tax collector probably had a profound understanding that he wasn't acceptable to God. If the commandments were summarized by the two, love God and, and love your neighbor as yourself, the tax collector was confessing that he had messed up, that he had fulfilled neither. Notice it, it says that he was beating his breast. Now this is a very common physical sign and it's often used in Judaism. Uh, as well as in many Christian rites, um, they take, you take your right hand and you just kind of beat it against the, the top over where your heart is on the, on the left side. Uh, it's a dramatic gesture and it identifies a contrite and penitent heart. Here in America, we do something different. We do, we do chest thumping which is a completely different animal. Chest thumping is about, look how good I am, look what I've accomplished, where beating your heart is a penitent heart. Remember, we also have the example of the Apostle Paul. Paul was a Pharisee, originally named Saul, and he persecuted the Christians. But God got a hold of his life on the way to Damascus. Saul ultimately became Paul, the beloved apostle. Now, Paul was the one that said, Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners, of which I am chief. And this tax collector is basically confessing the same sentiment that the Apostle Paul did. One big difference between the Pharisee and the tax collector is the tax collector cries out for mercy. He says, God, be, be merciful to me. That's verse 13. You know, throwing yourself to a, on, on, before a merciful God is always a good option. It's always a good option to go to God and just say, be merciful to me, a sinner. Notice that the tax collector wasn't trying to impress God. He wasn't offering gold or silver. He wasn't offering to build a new wing on the temple or contribute to the New Jerusalem Fund. The tax collector was desperate and came to the only place to speak to the only one that could atone for his sin that for, could forgive his many transgressions, transgressions and give him hope. Jesus concludes this parable with an acknowledgement of what we now likely appears to be obvious. As we're able to listen into the secrets of both the tax collector and the, and the Pharisee. Verse 14, Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You know, Jesus often spoke of this issue of righteousness. If you recall, Jesus had sayings that indicated his 
teaching was going to illustrate for them the spirit of righteousness. And Jesus would say things like, you've heard it said, remember? He said, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. And then he goes on to explain what adultery really is, where he says, you've heard it said, do not kill. But then he goes on and raises the bar a little bit about what it means actually to violate the commandment, do not kill. But then he would say, but I tell you, but I tell you, Jesus was illustrating true righteousness. Jesus did this to illustrate the complete inability of anyone Pharisee, scribe, a man or a woman, a free man or a slave, Jew or Greek, anyone to be righteous enough, to be blameless enough, to actually earn the right to be in heaven. The New Testament makes this very clear. The Apostle Paul tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The scriptures tell us clearly that we fall short. You've probably seen the illustration of a, of a chasm two cliffs, a big chasm, a long distance between them. No one can get from one side to the other without a bridge. And that bridge is none other than Jesus Christ. The Bible says that if it was possible, if it was possible for the sacrifices of the priest to truly justify mankind and make us right, then Jesus never would have had to die on Calvary. You know, that verse, when the apostle says, all have sinned, that's from the epistle to the Romans in chapter 3. Let me read that verse to you as it's in its context and we'll understand better what the parable is teaching us. It says, And this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You know, in this parable, Jesus tells us that one man... The tax collector was justified, while the other, because of his self-exaltation, his pride, was not. So there's two words that are used here we probably need to define. One of them is the word justified. Now, to be justified means to be declared right with God. One way of remembering justified is the phrase, just as if I did not sin. Get it? Just as, just as if I did not sin or justified. The scriptures teach us that God declares those who receive Christ are righteous. And this righteousness, this act of justification, is solely based on Christ's righteousness. Jesus Christ was the only one that was able to fully love God and man. The only one that was truly sinless. As a result, Christ's righteousness is then imputed to those that believe on him. Again, the scriptures tell us clearly that it's all about Christ from beginning to end. Looking back at the same chapter and verse that we referenced before in the book of Romans, the scriptures tell us that being imputed, that tells us that being imputed to the accounts uh, are those that received Christ, this imputation of Christ's righteousness. It says, but now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made to which the law and the prophets testify. So the Old Testament testified that there was a righteousness outside of the law, better than the law. And it says, this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Now in other parts of the New Testament, it's made clear that it's the grace of God, it's the grace of God that saves us. It's through faith, but it's the grace of God, and that faith is actually a gift of God as well. Then the scripture continues with the verse we just read. It says, there's no difference 
for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. It continues and it says that God presented him, that's Jesus, as a sacrifice, as an atonement. Now atonement is a, it's a fancy word, it's a theological word, but it means that the price has been paid through faith in his blood. You know, because of this parable, we often use the words, the word self-righteous. You know, but in reality, did you know there's really no such thing as self-righteousness? It's an attitude that's at odds with the very plan and purpose of God. What God desires is to make you righteous, make me righteous, to give us His righteousness. That's the word justification. The other key word, remember I said there were two words that we needed to understand? The other key word we need to understand is humility, true humility. And it's related to the word exaltation. Just as it is painful to see or witness someone that is self-righteous, it's equally painful and just as troubling to see somebody that's exalting themselves, blowing their own horn, putting themselves on display, saying, look at how good I am. Jesus often teaches the value of humility. Jesus said, learn of me. I am meek and lowly of heart. In another place in the scriptures, he said, whoever wants to become great among you must be a servant and whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave just as the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many remember it was Jesus that bent down put a towel around his waist and washed the feet of his disciples Jesus did this to demonstrate the value of service the importance of humility and the priority of mercy and love for one another in conclusion, let me tell you that it's actually much easier to pray like the Pharisee than the tax collector. I want to make sure you get that. I'm saying that it's easier, sometimes more frequent, to pray just like the Pharisee rather than the tax collector. And there's a warning in that. And the reason isn't so much about our self-righteousness like the Pharisee, but the Pharisee just like the Pharisee, we often get the measuring stick wrong. We, we tend to compare ourselves to others. We compete, we compare, we, we contend with others all the time. And it's so easy to think of ourselves as somewhat better because we tend to do better than others. Country singer Mac Davis back in 1980 wrote a song and he sang it. It's, it's a fun song. It's, 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 it says this. It says, Mac Davis said, Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I can't wait to look in the mirror because I get better looking each day. You know, God's standard is, is perfection. No matter how much we think we may be better than we, than we were or better than others, we need to take this parable to heart and understand that God not only has a standard that is unattainable, but He's graciously provided the bridge, the answer, the opportunity for us to be truly justified, just as if I've never sinned. That justification is all through Jesus. Here's another way to look at the opportunity. It doesn't matter who we are. It matters whose we are. We all need to belong to Jesus. You know, as we close today, let me encourage you to take advantage of our, our web, website and some of the resources on it. You can go to www.faithdialogue.org. 
or www.celebrateseniors.us. They're both the same, and you'll see there's over 100 of our audio podcasts, about almost as many as our videos as well. We'd love to hear from you. Let us know how we can pray for you as well. Thank you for those of you that support us by your prayers and your financial support. God bless. Let me pray. Father God, I want to thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to get together like this. Thank you for the parables, the words of Jesus in red. And we give you You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.